in this age when quite a lot of people are taken up with the benefits of physical activity and seeking to get themselves physically fit and strong, we're going to consider together this morning the best workout you can do. The very best. What does it mean to be a Christian in terms of how you actually live your life? What does it mean in practice to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Following your conversion, where do you go next? How do you make progress in your walk of faith? In Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul provides us with a great summary of what is the answer to all of those kinds of questions. Now, for some, these verses have proven to be a source of some disagreement over the years, but really there is no reason why that should be the case. Because the truth contained here, in many ways, is very, very simple, but it's also monumental. For here, in these two verses, is the very heart of what it means to live day by day as a Christian believer, as someone who seeks to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've got three main points, but what I want to do first of all is point out what we might call a foundation which Paul lays in the opening words of verse 12. So we'll call it a foundation because it's something that already needs to be in place before we consider what he's going to say next. The whole nub of this exhortation that Paul brings to us begins, of course, with the words, work out your own salvation. But before we get there, it's vital to recognise what Paul indicates in the first part of verse 12. These things are essential. Because these truths and principles that Paul is going to lay down first will guide and direct us to see and understand what it is that Paul is saying and to also be clear on what he is definitely not saying. First of all, we have the word therefore. Now, what Paul is about to say concerns the application of what he's said before. He's been talking about, if you've been with us, you'll, you'll recall this, he's been talking about those things which are necessary in order that we can resist and repel those things which oppose and endanger us as a church from outside and those things which we can use to keep and protect ourselves from sowing discord and disunity within the church. He's been talking about those things which you must give attention to in your own individual life and which we must give attention to in our corporate life within the church. Now these two verses are an exhortation about putting those things into practice. This exhortation is brought to you in the light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done as summarised by Paul in verses 5 to 11. In verse 5, 
It's all about having the mind of Christ. In verses 6 to 9, constantly being mindful of how Christ humbled himself for you. From verses 9 to 11, having your eyes permanently fixed upon the one who is your exalted Saviour and Lord. Therefore, so this is not a disconnected thing that Paul is talking about. It's all connected with everything he's just been saying. You see, you cannot have those things mentioned up to verse 11 not be true of you and then go on to the therefore. So you have to grapple with up to verse 11 first. If you're not a Christian, you have to think about those things. You can't consider the therefore that Paul is going to mention here. Paul is bringing to our attention the natural progression of things for the man or woman or boy or girl who is truly born again. The therefore applies to you if you are in Christ. Now we can be certain of this because he goes on and he addresses them, my beloved. These verses are addressed to the members of the Philippian church. These verses are addressed to Christians. These verses are addressed to men, women, boys, girls who have repented of their sins and who, by God's grace, are trusting in Christ alone by faith for their salvation. Those who he calls in verse 1 of chapter 1, the saints in Christ. Those with whom Paul is enjoying fellowship in the gospel, chapter 1, verse 5. Those in whom God has begun and will complete his good work, chapter 1, verse 6. These people who are already saved, Paul is addressing in these verses. And these are those whom Paul dearly, dearly loves. And his motivation in saying these things, his motivation is his own deep love for them and that they might live lives that please God. That's his only motivation. And he addresses these verses to those who have always obeyed. They're his words in verse 12. You who have always obeyed. Why would he say that? Well, you see, this exhortation is addressed to men and women and boys and girls in whom evidence of their obedience to Christ and his word has already been seen. Well, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul think that way? Well, you see, Paul is talking to Christian believers. And he's talking to Christian believers in whose lives there is evidence of conversion and new birth and a new heart and a transformed mind. Because if you have been converted, if you have an, a new heart and if you have a transformed mind, then those things will clearly be in evidence. And one of the great evidences of those things is that you're walking in obedience to Christ and his word.
Obedience to Christ and the word of God, you see, is a proof and a fruit of God's work of grace in the life of a sinner. And for the apostle, the idea of a Christian living in flagrant and persistent disobedience, to him, that's an absolute nonsense. That simply can't be. You can't claim to be a Christian, but be living in persistent disobedience. In fact, Paul's conviction is that it's impossible for a true believer not to have a life which is marked out by growing obedience to Christ. Now, it won't be perfect obedience, not this side of heaven, but surely how it weighs upon the heart of a believer every time you know you've let the Lord down. And surely how it weighs upon your heart, how you truly have a desire to live a life that is pleasing to him, don't you? This phrase makes it clear that what he's about to say is an ongoing part of Christian growth and obedience. And then fourthly, he says, your own salvation. You see, this is personal. And I have a question for you. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you recognised before God the seriousness of your sin? And have you recognised the position that puts you in before a God who is holy and pure and righteous and just? Have you seen that in living your life in open rebellion against God, and you see, even to live your life without any reference to God, just to live your life with no care for what he requires of you is to live in rebellion against him, do you see that in doing that, you've placed yourself under God's anger and condemnation? Have you seen that nevertheless, God is slow to anger. That God is abounding in compassion and grace. That he's full of mercy. That he sent his own son, Jesus, to stand in your place as your saviour. That you might be saved from that condemnation that your sins deserve. Have you seen that? Have you been born again of God's spirit? Does Christ now live in you? Do you now follow and serve him? Do you now have the certain hope of everlasting life? Are you saved? Because the Apostle Paul says, your own salvation. What about you this morning? Are you saved? Now, as we approach these verses, you must remember that there is a work of God which is entirely his and in which we play no part other than to believe it by faith. The only part we play is to believe it by faith. You cannot earn it or merit it. You cannot produce salvation because it is the gift of God. Now, this aspect of salvation we call justification. It's everything that God has done to which you and I make no contribution whatsoever. Being forgiven from all of your sins. 
being placed in right standing before God in Christ Jesus, no longer being under condemnation, but being clothed in Christ's own righteousness. We who were his enemies, who now have been reconciled in him and by him. Now, this is not the aspect of salvation that Paul is talking about when he says, work it out. He doesn't need to because it's already done. It's already done. And there's no more to be done. Christ has done it all. But having been saved and having been justified in this way, an ongoing process of change begins within every Christian as God works in us by his spirit. Paul's referred to it already. That which he has begun, he will continue and complete. This ongoing process, it's the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, renewing, transforming heart and mind, the very nature of Christ himself being formed within us. And on and on and on it goes. And it's this sanctifying work of salvation which Paul is referring to when he says, work it out. It's this sanctifying work of God in which we do have an active role to play in submission and in obedience to God and his word. We have no role to play in our being made justified before God. That's all of God through Christ and the work of his spirit. But sanctifying that ongoing work of God in you and me every day, we have an active role to play in that. So let's consider what it is that Paul says then in these two verses. And we're going to do that under three headings. The first heading is action. Work out, says Paul. Work out. When you become a Christian, there are things to which you must actively give yourself and apply yourself. Being a Christian is not like being a passenger in a car, just sitting there and experiencing it while the car does all the work. Paul likens Christians to various things, amongst which athletes. That's an active thing. Soldiers. That's an active thing. Farmers. That's an active thing. The Christian life is to be one of activity, hard work, effort, endurance, application. Just as we see in Christ himself, in his own earthly ministry. Now as we've seen, the foundation laid down by Paul in verse 12 forbids us from jumping to wrong and false conclusions as to what Paul means by this phrase, work out your own salvation. So he's not suggesting that you can come up with your own method of salvation, because you can't. Neither is he suggesting that you have to accomplish your own salvation, because Christ has already done that. The method and accomplishment of the salvation of sinners was decreed by God before time began and fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, what Paul is talking about is putting into practice everything that it means to be a Christian man or woman who is already saved. But not because you're trying to save yourself. Because you can't. Do you remember those things mentioned by Paul 
in chapter 1, verse 17, stand fast in one spirit. And in chapter 2, verse 2, be like-minded and so on. Exhortations which he, he gives to us. These are things you are to do. These are things you are to give yourselves to. These are things you are to apply. That salvation in Christ, in which you now stand, says Paul. Work it out. So, so you need to be prayerful. You need to spend time digging into the word of God so that you know his will and purposes and you know the promises you can claim. You need to spend time alone with God in prayerful reflection and meditation. I hope you do that. And the teaching of the apostles across the New Testament is that we are to put ourselves to actively applying the doctrines of the faith to our lives. God, God places upon each one of us a responsibility for how we live our lives as his children. Let me give you a few examples. Let's think about a few verses in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Colossian church, he talked about his own commitment and determination and of the effort that he puts in to being a Christian. Colossians 1, 29, Paul's words, to this end, I also labour. Striving. That is a word of real effort. I strive, says Paul. They're his words. He urges Timothy to mental exercise and application. Paul knows that young Pastor Timothy won't just wake up one morning and discover that while he slept, God has miraculously and automatically programmed his brain with all the wisdom and knowledge that he needs. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, Consider what I say. Put your mind to it, Timothy. Take time and effort to think these things through. The Apostle Peter. Now Peter understood that believers must actively give themselves to pursuing and developing those attitudes and graces which mark out the Christian life. Again, you don't just wake up one morning and discover that you are living this life that every Christian ought to live. Listen to the words of Peter. Giving all diligence. Be diligent in it. Put yourself to it. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. That's an exhortation to Christians. There are things you need to do. There are things you need to put yourself to in the work of sanctification in your life. And Paul also makes the point that these things are not to be done on account of him. If they're in the position that they behave one way whenever Paul is around, but another way when Paul is absent, 
there's something very wrong. How is it with children in the classroom when the teacher walks out? We know their behaviour ought not to change. But how many classrooms do you know? We've got a few teachers amongst us. How many classrooms do you know where if the teacher walked out, the behaviour of the children would not change? Well, Christians are not to be like that, according to whose company they're in, or according to whose teaching they're sitting under. Their behaviour doesn't depend upon whether a particular pastor or teacher is present or absent. doesn't. If you're doing this for me, says Paul, if you're relying upon me, says Paul, you've got it all wrong. And the focus for you is to be your salvation. Work out your salvation. Don't take it upon yourself to be the one who goes around the church trying to work out everyone else's salvation for them. No, you concentrate on working out your own salvation. Do you remember that little picture that Jesus painted of the man who's trying to, re or the woman, who's trying to remove the little speck in someone's eye while they've got a huge plank sticking out of their own? No, you work out your own salvation. The whole body depends upon you working out your salvation. Are you? Will you? So that's the first thing. Action. Work out. Second point. Attitude. Attitude. With fear and trembling. Some people might think this is a bit of an old-fashioned phrase that Christians in the 21st century don't really need to be using anymore. Well, I'm going to disagree with you if that's your opinion. This is going to be a fairly brief point, actually, kind of like the filling in the middle of the sandwich. With fear and trembling, this is a way of saying that this is to be a serious business. This is a way of saying that this is to have weight and gravity in your life as a Christian. Now, this is not fear of failure. This is not trembling that's shaking with nerves. This is not a subservient slave in fear of their very life if they make the tiniest mistake. That's not what Paul is talking about here. This is reverence. This is having the very deepest regard for the things of God as a Christian, as part of your attitude to all of this. You see, you're to do this mindful of the majesty and holiness of God whose eyes are upon you. This is to have a sober-minded sense of awe and wonder at what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to have such a desire for the honour of his name and for the furtherance of his cause that you will give everything you have and put everything into it. This is to want to do everything according to the will of God and in order to fulfil his purposes. This is to pay the closest attention to the Bible so that the way you're living is in accordance with his revealed will. This is to keep you from a form of Christianity which only wants things to be light and frothy. This is to keep you from forgetting that the one whom you may, by his grace, approach as Abba Father, is still, nonetheless, the great 
I am. This is to keep you from an over-familiarity or irreverence towards God. Fear and trembling. I have a horrible feeling that for some Christians today, if they were placed in the position of Isaiah, where we see him in chapter 6 of Isaiah, where he has that awesome vision of God enthroned in heaven. Some Christians today, rather than fearing for their lives as they stand in the searching light of God's holiness, like Isaiah did, would instead think that the appropriate thing to do is to try and run up to God and high-five him. We don't play like that with God. Fear and trembling. Your heavenly father is still God. Fear and trembling is the correct attitude for Christians before their God and Saviour. So we've got action. We've got attitude. Thirdly, I'm sorry, I became a slave to alliteration. I don't normally, but I did to say actuator. The actuator. What actually makes it happen? What actually makes it happen? It is God who works in you. Now, what we have here is the second part of this vital, vital teaching. Now, some Christians struggle to reconcile these two verses, unable to see how these two things fit together. Living the Christian life, is it me or is it God? Yes. Yes. It is you and it is God. Now, be clear, it can only be you. If it is God. And it is you because it is God. Note carefully what Paul says. God works in you to will. Question. From where do you even get the desire the motivation to respond to God's word in obedience. Where do you even get the desire to want to do that? Where do you even get the desire to want to look at this kind of exhortation in God's word and do something about it? Even the desire comes from God. God works in you to will. God it is who actually puts in you the desire to live as you should live. It's God's work in you. God is actively producing this will in you, but not in a way that you have no participation in it. God works in such a way that you will to do it. You want to do it. You desire to do it. Your heart and your mind are given over to these things because that is what God produces in your heart and in your mind. 
God works in you to will. And God works in you to do. He first gives you the will to do it and then empowers you to do it. But it is still you doing it. But you could not were it not for God being at work in you. You see, you're not reduced to a puppet on a string with God at the controls. You are endowed by God with all that you require in order that you might live as he requires. He works in you and produces this in you. The grace of God does not relieve you of your need to be obedient. The grace of God enables and empowers you to be obedient. It's what the grace of God does. I quoted some, from some verses earlier in terms of this idea of the, the responsibility that we have, that there are things that we must do. But in each case, I only quoted part of what is actually said. Let's revisit those verses in their entirety. And let's see these other portions of the scripture, which just like Paul here in Philippians, say that you as a Christian have this responsibility before God, but... It can only be done in and because of God. Let's have a look. Well, we look first of all at Colossians 1.29. Paul said this, I labour, I strive according to his working which works in me mightily. Do you see those two things? It's not either or, it's both. It's not a question of it's either me or it's God. No, it's you and God. It's you in God. It's God in you. You've been united to Christ. You haven't been obliterated by Christ. You've been united to him. What does Paul do? He labours and strives. Why does Paul labour and strive? Because God is at work in him mightily. And God makes him want to labour and strive. How does Paul manage to labour and strive? Because God is at work in him mightily. And enables him and equips him to labour and strive. Paul does not say that he no longer has to strive because God is working in him. He says that because God is working in him, that causes him and empowers him to strive. Paul to Timothy, it's 2 Timothy 2.7. Paul says to Timothy, consider what I say. And the Lord give you understanding in all things. Paul does not say, Timothy, the Lord will just give you understanding. Paul says to Timothy, the Lord will give you understanding as you give yourself to considering what you've been taught. Doesn't he? 
Can you see this dynamic which the apostles insist is taking place in the life of every Christian? The presence and power and impulse of God in your life. So that you may be the Christian that God wants you to be. To Peter. Now the little bit we quoted before is is at the end of verse 5 of 2 Peter 1. Giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue and knowledge. But you have to bear in mind what comes before that. Not take it in isolation. Peter says this, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then a little bit later on, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. On that basis, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Do you see, the exhortation that Peter gives is on the basis that God has given them his divine power so that they are able to take on board and embrace all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's divine power at work in you now. That's the truth. That's the reality of it. So, work it out. And so, it's not a claim that takes us to the end of our tether. What is it that makes a Christian life Christian? And how can I go about living a life that is pleasing to God? Well, as Paul instructed Timothy... Go away and consider these things. That the Lord might give you understanding. These two verses summarize everything you need to know about what it means to live the Christian life. These two verses provide you with all the comfort and assurance that you need because they tell you and they promise you That because God is in you, because God is at work in you by his mighty power, God himself gives you the will and gives you the do. do. It's all from him. And so these two verses will keep you from discouragement and despair. Because he's not asking you to go away and try this on your own. Because he knows you can't. You're to do it in him. Acknowledging his divine power. Which is in you, Christian believer. And these two verses will prevent you from giving up. And these two verses enable you to press on. Because you know that God has given me every resource that I need and able to do it. Work out your own salvation. Do it humbly. Do it prayerfully, in fear and trembling. For it is God. It is God who is at work in you. So that you will, will. So that you may do. For his good pleasure. 
May he so help us to his glory.